For you American history fans, this was somebody's favorite hymn. Who knows? Whose favorite hymn was this? His first name is Robert, and his last name was Lee. <laughs> Robert E. Lee. This was his favorite hymn. You know, Caleb? Who was it? Robert E. Lee. <laughs> Let's sing all five stanzas of How Firm a Foundation. Yeah. 
in her curiosity at someone named Kitty Sydney. Was that a different tune? Somehow, someway, did not sound. Every section of eight verses has a different tune. Oh! Hence the reason why it just totally threw me off this yes. evening. They're all different. <laughs> it just seemed like the previous sections that we sang had a similar tune. Uh, some of them sound more similar than others. Okay. It's all written by the same lady the tunes were. Oh, okay. All right. Psalm 119. I look forward to uh, more that we have, uh, hearing more about it. All right. So, folks, we continue in the... Uh, we're in the Psalms, so we're continuing in Psalm 107. This is the sixth of the, Psalm, uh, the series that we that I'm doing. First, start off with uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, if you're redeemed, you should be telling others. Amen. Those that have been, he talks about the fact that he redeemed us from the hand of the enemy, and that is something that uh, all saved people have something definitely to uh, to give God praise for. And then the second week, we talked about giving thanks unto God. You know, the very first verse of this uh, psalm starts off, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. And then uh, we got into how God meets the needs of those that are wandering, those that are in the wilderness. And then talking about um, God delivering those that are in prison. And then last week, we uh, covered... How God saves those that uh, the foolish that call upon Him. This evening, what we're going to do is we're going to see God's salvation for those caught in storms. So we're going to be reading, uh, covering verses 23 to 32 this evening. 23 to 32. In fact, let me go ahead and read those verses right now. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in deep. For he commanded and raised the, uh, raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves thereof. They mount up in, to the heaven, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves there are, thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Yeah. Father, we thank you once again for your word. And Lord, we are uh, grateful that we have the opportunity not just to study it, Lord, but to also to give you praise, to give you honor, mm -hmm. to be able to um, sing praises unto you, shout praises unto you, Lord and uh, unto the congregation, Father, for all that you do in our lives. So, Lord, I pray that uh, you get me out of the way, Father, and I pray that your Holy Spirit will lead, will guide, and help us, Lord, to uh, learn what we can out of this passage of Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in this passage of Scripture that we're reading tonight, basically we're, we're seeing about, read about the all-powerful God, the God that controls nature, the God that controls weather. In fact, those of us that live in an island state, we have firsthand experience, uh, with natural disasters. We're subject to tsunamis that are generated by earthquakes, hurricanes, the tropical storm that's passing by our island right now, even volcanic eruptions. And thankfully, because of advanced technology, we have, um, we get uh, early warning systems, so to speak, of these impending weather events, and we can prepare accordingly. 
you know, the, uh, I know that on Monday and Tuesday, in fact, Monday, the uh, transportation department was out on the highways. They were cl uh, clearing up uh, all of the um, storm drains and things so that um, we didn't have flooding. Uh, they were also clearing out streams, making sure that there were no uh, uh, obstructions so that to minimize uh, flooding. And I know even up at the, um, the prison up at Wayaba, they were doing the same thing up there on Monday. Monday and Tuesday morning, they were out there just making sure that there were no debris. And so, you know, these things, um, these disasters, I shouldn't say disasters, they're basically natural events that occur. And what we're seeing, what we're gonna read about in this passage here is that the individuals that we read about here did not have the luxury of the technology that we have available to us. You know, whenever they ventured out into the ocean, they never knew if they would return. I think about, um, you know, I, I, I remember going over to Jamestown many years ago, and there were like three ships there. I can't recall the names of the three ships. I know one was called Godspeed. That was the middle, that was the middle-sized vessel, and then the larger one, and then the smaller one. And I remember walking onto that smaller vessel and going down downstairs and thinking to myself, I cannot imagine being in on this ship crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And I, I believe they were on the ocean for like a hundred and some odd days. And it's like this is this is crazy. You know, but at the same time, what we read here in the psalm is exactly what uh, those pilgrims uh, experienced. They ventured out, they never knew if they would return. In fact, if you read through the the, the Bible, you never see people back then going out into the ocean to have fun. You know, here in the islands, we live we live here in, on Oahu, and you got people that are riding jet skis, going out in the motorboats, going out fishing. You know, they're out venturing. They're having leisure time. Even King Solomon, the, the, the this rich king, we don't read about him having a private vessel going out for leisure just to explore. He did have navies, and of course, people ventured out. They brought um, precious metals uh, and all of this material that they used to uh, build the, uh, the tabernacle. But the ocean was a place of mystery, you know, and not many, many ventured out into it. And verse number 23, they that go down to the sea in ships. You know, this was a, it, I, the, the psalmist identifies a specific mindset of the people. These people, they, he identifies that they that go down to the uh, to sea in ships. You know, these people, these individuals, they're risk takers or they're adventurers. <clears throat> because the sea was a place of mystery and a place of intrigue. And... They didn't have any navigational instruments. I, in fact, I, you know, these these were see. I'm curious to. I know that here in Hawaii we had the hokulea, and one of the things that the hokulea did was navigate by the stars. And it's fascinating. I remember going down to the Egypt <coughs> Museum and looking up and trying to identify the stars and seeing how they navigated by these stars, depending on. And it, it didn't matter where they were because the stars basically identified where they were. And all they needed to do is navigate by that. And you know, the, the, the travelers here, the seafarers here, they, were, they had no navigational instruments. And I believe that when these 
when the psalmist here says that they go down to the sea in ships, this is something that um, these individuals that were in that were going down in these ships, perhaps they were people that were admired, they were looked up to, or perhaps people thought they were crazy. You know, one or the other. But essentially, the psalmist goes on and says that that do business in great waters. In other words, they did not go down to the ships or travel on the ships unless they had business to take, to partake in. Why would you risk your lives going out and sea? You know, I, I do not recommend watching this show, but I do know the reason why I watched it was I was wondering why king crab costs so much money, especially here in Hawaii. You know, world's deadliest catch. I don't know if anybody has ever caught it. I, the language on the show is not good, not uh, for our ears. But what we do see is the exposure that these, even to, in today's, um, with today's technology, the exposure that they have to the, in the open ocean, specifically the Bering Sea, you know, you see these 20-foot waves that come crashing out, and they're fishing at night. And essentially, next thing you know, you hear uh, the captain say, wave! And you see this huge wall of white water coming across the wave. And next thing you know, you see all of these equipment just get knocked over the place. And then you see men get tossed. And it's like, wow. I guess that's the reason why king crab is $30 a pound. <laughs> you know, it, it, this is not something that I, def that I would volunteer to go out and do, but I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like during these times. You know, we're talking about 2023, where with all the technology, they're still out there risking their lives. But here we see, this is written back, what is it, like 700 BC? Maybe even prior to that? So there was no technology. So the only those that whose livelihood were dependent on ocean travel would venture out. Like I said, no one ventured out just for fun. And notice it says here that do that do business in great waters. The great waters. What was that? The Mediterranean Ocean and the Mediterranean Sea. Think about this. The Mediterranean Sea, right? You got Israel to the east of it, and then you got. Um, all those other Mediterranean countries. Forgive me, my geography is not so good. And then to the to the east, the northeast of it, you got Italy and so on, Greece and so on. But compared to the Pacific Ocean, compared to the Atlantic Ocean, even compared to the Indian Ocean, right? Great these great seas. Basically, for me, anything that where I cannot see the shoreline is a great expanse, <laughs> right? You know, it's like, I remember the first time I went out on a fishing boat. Well, it basically was like a 52-foot sampan here in the islands. And I remember launching out, leaving Kiwala Basin. This is on the south shore of Oahu, for those of you not, not familiar. And then as we're going out, basically what happens is that, and you look back, you can see, oh, that's so beautiful. You get a ocean size, uh, ocean view of Waikiki Beach, the southern coastline. You see downtown Honolulu. But as you start venturing out, everything starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's like, okay, that's a long way to swim back if something should happen, right? And all I want to know is where the life bets at. 
you know, do we have enough life vests on this boat? Because if the boat goes out, I want to make sure I have a life vest. But these folks here are basically putting their life in, taking their life in their own hands every time they go out there. And verse number 24 there says, they see the works of the Lord. Interesting what the psalmist says here. They see the works of the Lord. You know, what you see from land is totally different from when you get out, out onto the ocean. You know, these mariners had a bird's eye view of God's creation. Because I think all of you can um, relate to this. Seeing something is totally different from hearing about something. Mm -hmm. Experiencing something, right? I remember prior to my first uh, trip to the Grand Canyon. I remember going online. In fact, it was kind of on a spur of the moment type deal. We are over at a friend's house. And friend says, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? I said, no, I've never been to the Grand Canyon. She said, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I looked at my daughter and I said, are we doing anything tomorrow? She said, no, we're not doing anything. Oh, why don't we go to the Grand Canyon? I was like, okay. So what time do we have to leave? She said, oh, probably like about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And this is like 10 o'clock at night. I'm thinking to myself, okay. So anyway, what we did was I... I Went online, I just wanted to see pictures of the Grand Canyon, right? And you see the Grand Canyon, it's beautiful pictures that you see. But when we got to the Grand Canyon, and when we saw when I saw the Grand Canyon, in fact, the first time I saw the Grand Canyon was watching the sunrise over the east rim of the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. That was amazing, right? It is like pitch black, well, not pitch black, but it's dark. It's dark, and we're, we're at, the, uh, at the lookout. And then you see the sun, you can begin to see light coming out. You can see the rays opening up. And then as that sun starts coming up over the east rim, and next thing you know, the whole canyon begins to light up. Not only does it light up, but then you begin to see all these different shades of red and orange and gold. I mean, it was like, wow, this is amazing. Seeing it where the canyon walls are just totally black, and now they, be, they become illuminated, and then you begin to see all of these different colors in, in, in the canyon uh, walls. It's like, this is amazing. But at the same time, I took pictures. And I remember looking at the pictures on my phone, and I'm thinking to myself, this is not the same thing. This is not the same thing. These mariners, right, they see the works of the Lord. They were able to experience it. They were on the water. And basically being on the ocean and free from the many distractions also allowed them to see see and be more attuned to what was around them think about this when you're on land you're surrounded by people you got all of these distractions that are going on you get out onto the ocean and if it's a nice calm day everything is nice and calm what happens is that you don't hear the distractions now what you can do is you can be, begin to watch and see, observe all of the different things that are going on. I remember the first time I went out on a boat, like I said, we're out, we left a while, we're going fishing. We're going for, um, uh, fishing for a yellowfin tuna. And one of the things that the captain was looking at was he's looking through his binoculars, right? And asking him, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for bird piles. And bird piles, yeah, I'm looking for bird piles. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, so is there like a pile of bird on the, on the ocean surface? What are we looking for, right? 
I could not figure it out. And then all the next thing I know, I feel the boat turning, and then we're heading out to something. And what I can see is, in the middle of the ocean, uh, is is a school of not school of birds. What do you call it? a flock of birds that are just flying over? And you can see these birds that are dive. They start diving down into the water. It's like whoa. This is pretty cool. We're like uh, 15, 20 miles off the coast. You can barely see barely see Oahu. But here we are on the ocean, and you see these birds diving down, and we're heading out. Next thing you know, all the lines are going out, and what do we do? We pass right through that bird pile. Then as we're passing through the bird pile, next thing you know, you hear, you hear the rubber band snap on, on the fishing lines. Pack, pack, and we're... You know, you're, you're hooked up. You, you got a fish. But it's exciting. But at the same time, for us here in the islands, until that, that, uh, that opportunity came about, guess what? The only time I get to see yellowfin tuna in a supermarket, <laughs> right? I never got to see it on the open ocean, much less get to fight a yellowfin tuna. I never realized. You know, I, up until that point, the only time I fished, my experience with fishing was fishing from land. Yes, we, I caught um, giant trevally, which is what in the islands we call ulua, 40-pound fish. It gives us a good fight. But fighting something that's like 150-pound plus, that is a totally different animal, right? You're getting to see the experience of something that God has created, and you're thinking to yourself, and here you are. You know, you're on the reel, and you're fighting. And this thing is going, the, the pole is bending, and... The, the, the deckhand is telling you, as you pull, as, as you're going backwards, right, you're reeling. You're, you're trying to, and then you go back down. You try to reel in as much line as you can. And next thing you know, you're going down, and you're reeling. And then as you're coming up, the, the line keeps going up. You can't even come back down. All you're trying to do is just hold that line, as, uh, pull as tight as you can. But what we're able to do is experience the power of this, of this fish. The power of God's creation. The psalmist says that they, they see the works of the Lord and the wonders of His deep. You know what's fascinating? When I read that, the wonders of the deep. Many years ago, one of the things, we went out to um, um, the harbor over on your side of the island, um, Nathan, on the windward side. And the reason why we went out there is that a fisherman had caught a giant squid. Caught a giant squid. So, and so we had gone out there. This giant squid was like, I want to say it was like 10 feet, 12 feet from the top of the head to the legs that were left. That were left because the sharks had gotten the legs. But here's what was fascinating. So you had the legs, right? And these, what was left of the legs, the suckers on these, the, the legs were about the size of a dinner plate. The head of that squid must have been about four or five feet long. I mean, this thing was just crazy. I, was, I remember looking at this thing, it's like, is this real? This isn't real. I mean, I've never, I, I see squid, I mean, when we go fishing, uh, bait that we use is squid. Guess what? The squid that we buy in the store is like about like this big. And this is the head and the tail, to the tail. And it's got all the legs on it, right? This one was like about 10 feet long, and it was missing the legs. 
It was crazy. This thing was big. And we're, all the people are asking, so how, how long do you think this thing was? I said, well, the fishermen say, we probably lost about six, eight feet of legs, right? Because when they brought it to the surface, they didn't even know what they had. All they know is that they caught it. It was a heavy. This thing was, was not fighting, but this, the, the pole was just, just constantly, a constant drag on it. And as they started bringing it to the surface, they realized what it was. It was a giant squid, but before they could get it to the boat, basically what happened was that there were some sharks that were following, and they just started attacking this thing, just chowing down on this, right? So the psalmist says here, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. You know, oftentimes what happens that we, when, when we're, I, 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 read a verse like this and it's like the difference between snorkeling and scuba diving you're snorkeling on the surface of the of the water right you can see oh yeah all these beautiful fish and stuff like that but even with a snorkel if you hold your breath and you get down now you begin to see a totally different world and i've never scuba dived before so i don't know but all I know is the people that, my friends that have scuba dived, tell me, yeah, when you get down, when you're able to get down 20, 30, 40 feet, it's a totally different environment. Totally different world, right? But the beauty is this. Everything that you see is all of God's creation. Amen. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. They see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. Verse 25. For He commanded. He commanded. You know, God is in control of all of creation. When God speaks, all obey. Not just nature, right? But even evil spirits. Let's take a look at a passage of Scripture in the New Testament, in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 4. We see Jesus speaking with power and authority. It's basically speaking to a man that has the unclean spirit in him. Verse number 33 there. And in the synagogues, there was a man which had a, had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. Verse 36, And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits, and they come out. You know, when God speaks, people obey. Amen. Everybody obeys. You know, sadly, in today's world, people do not take God seriously. I mean, I see that often when you go into the prison. And you know what's fascinating about this is the fact that Many of these men that we minister to said, hey, you know, for many years, I was just doing my own thing. I went astray. Prior to my affliction, I went astray. Now that I'm afflicted, guess what? Now they're coming back to God, right? And sometimes what happens is that God has to get our attention that way. He allows people to go down that path. So, for he commended so we see that God is in control of everything. In this verse here, verse 25, He commanded, and what, what happened? He raised a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves thereof. You know, God spoke, and basically you could have a sea that was all glass, the glass top sea. 
nice and calm, right? And it could instantly turn to windswept white caps with towering waves. You know, at God's command, so too, our calm, quiet life can also turn to myriad of afflictions filled with anxiety, fears, doubts. You know, I know there was time in my life I had, I, I remember attending a, a, a Bible conference back in Alabama. You know, it was a, what was it? A Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday conference. Great conference, great speakers, great music. Came back to the islands on fire. Spiritual, uh, on a spiritual high for about a month. It was like everything. It seemed like everything I touched turned to gold, so to speak. You know, it was like one of those things where nothing could go wrong. And then what happened? There came a point about a month later, things started just not going right. It was one of those things where it's like, what is going on? I was still reading my Bible. I was still praying. But there were things in my life that I needed to take care of. I, have, I was putting them aside. I was avoiding them. I was delaying. And God needed to get my attention. He needed me to focus and say, hey, Hugh, these are things that are important. Things that you need to deal with. You cannot keep delaying this because if you keep delaying this, you will get into trouble. You know, it's, it, it's like, I remember as a kid, one of my cousins had gotten a, um, a coral cut. He was a surfer. He had gotten a coral cut. And it was, like, it was a bad cut. He had it on his shin. And I remember seeing it. It was like uh, about an inch and a half two-inch gash, but it didn't look too bad. I mean, you know, so what do you do? You just wash it out, scrub it out, hydrogen peroxide, this whole thing, right? And about three weeks later, this thing had gotten worse. In fact, it was like it had turned purple and it was all pussy, it was bleeding. So it had gone to the doctor and guess what? The coral was growing inside, right? So what happened? Sometimes what happens is that we put off things and we think, oh, you know what? We'll take care of it later. But what happens? God can bring something into our life to get our attention. And I remember for myself, like I said, he, he wanted me to deal with this issue that was going on. I did. But yet, during that one week period where I just, here, here's the thing, is that it was something that I knew I had to deal with, but I kept ignoring it. You know, what I was really good at was being busy for the sake of avoiding something. In other words, mm -hmm. keeping myself occupied with things, acting as if I was being productive, acting as if I was doing you know, work for the sake of work. But in, in essence, those were just excuses not to deal with the thing that needed to be dealt with. And so it says here, he commanded, he raised the stormy wind, lifted up the waves thereof. And ultimately what happened? is that I needed to face what was going on. I needed to deal with that. You know, because unless we do something about those things that God brings into our, uh, brings to our attention, it can get worse. Notice, it says, verse number 26, they mount up to the heaven and they go down again to the depths. You know, this is a very, a very vivid description of being in stormy seas. I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but I remember drive, going out on a boat. We went to what's called the Penguin Banks. It's between the island of Oahu and the island of Molokai. 
It's this um, volcanic, I think it's a shield volcano or something, but it's a great fishing spot. So a lot of fishermen go out there. But as we were going out to the banks, they had a small craft warning. And I remember driving, being on this boat. And what would happen is this, you would be, as the waves would roll in, what happens is that the boat would cut through, you'd be at the top of the wave, you can see this ocean, and you can see all of these waves feathering, you can see it about ready to break, and you can see all this white water splashing all over the place, right? And then you come down on the back side of that wave, and you're in the trough, and guess what? You can't see anything. All you see is a wall of water that's coming up in front of you again. You're up, and then you're in the trough. You're up, you can see everything, and then you're in the trough. You know, he, he says here that they mount up to the heaven. They go down to the depths. <clears throat> and like I said, it is a vivid description of being out in the um, stormy seas. But it also described the stormy winds that I was in. Because notice, he says there that uh, they mount up, their soul is melted because of trouble. You know, these storms of life, these constant up and down can be emotionally draining. It can be trying. We need to basically deal with these things, right? In verse number 27, note, he says there, I love the, 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 the verbiage that he uses because it just helps us to understand or see. It brings to life, especially for myself. Because I've experienced this. He said, verse 27. Well, in verse 26, they mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths, right? And in verse number 27, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. If you've ever been on a ship where you're in rough weather, right? What happens? All you're trying to do is just get your balance. And that's, I know, I know none of you here have ever done self-medicated with alcohol or drugs or anything like that. But I can speak from experience that when you're under the uh, influence of alcohol and you're trying to walk on solid ground, <clears throat> what happens is you can be running back and walking back and forth, you're just staggering. The same thing can be ha happen on, on, on this, when you're out in the stormy seas. It's a mid, um, either the mid or the high. You need to cut it all the way down. So it says that they reel to and fro, like stagger like a drunken man. You know, and like I said, anybody that's on a boat can uh, identify with this. You know, it's difficult to keep your balance. But so is someone that's going through struggles in life. You know, trying to figure out what we're going to do. You know, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be doing this? Am I supposed to be doing this? You're searching for answers and never finding any. So what more can they do? That verse goes on and says that and are they are at wit's end, right? They're at wit's end. So they're at wit's end. And notice in verse number 28, then, that word then. So you've gone through these experiences. You've gone through trials. You're in the midst of a storm. You're struggling, going up and down, up and down. You're walking. You're staggering. Then, 
then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. You know, we may be staggering and reeling in the midst of a storm, but the psalmist tells us that God hears us even in the midst of storm. Turn back to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. Look at what David says in verse number 6. It says there, In my distress I call upon the Lord. You know, the, the psalmist in verse uh, in Psalm 107 was at wit's end. Here we see David. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. So in his distress, he cries unto God. And notice what he says there. He says, I heard my voice. God heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry came before him, even unto his ears. Something that we often, in fact, it took me a while to understand, is humbling myself to God and asking for help. You know, the, the truth of the matter is that the personality that I had was such that I can do it on my own. You know, I don't need anybody's help. But one thing that I, the first lesson I learned was that I cannot get to heaven on my own. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. If that be the case, then what else do I need help in, right? So here we see, going back to Psalm 107, so this, <clears throat> this person is calling out. He's at wit's end in verse number 28. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. You know, I love this particular passage of scripture David's psalm of thanksgiving how God how how uh, God had helped him through his enemies uh, also dealing with Saul can you turn to 2nd Samuel chapter 22 2nd Samuel chapter 22 He thanks God here. Second Samuel 22, starting off in verse number 1. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock. In him will I trust. Notice the, the adjectives that, God, uh, that David uses to describe God, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. These are things that are unbreakable, that are solid, something that is basically you can rely on. He says, he is my shield, the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. And then the pronouns, my, my, my. He's taking possession. He, this is his God. This is personal. And that's what we have. We need to have a personal relationship with God. It's not your God. It is my God. He is my God. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. Verse number four. I will call on the Lord 
who is worthy to be, to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And then he goes to this description. When the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple. And my cry did enter unto his ears. You know, like I said, God hears us when we are sincere, when we're calling out to him in sincerity. This is something that we can depend upon. He is our salvation. As David said, he's my, he's my scorn of my salvation. And in our desperation, sadly, what happens oftentimes, going back to Psalm 107, the then, you know, what we have to do oftentimes, and this is a hard lesson that I personally have learned, is that trying to get, like I said, trying to work my way out of a situation, try to figure out solutions for my problems. Then I cry unto the Lord after I have exhausted all avenues of my own. Right. No, that's not the way it should be, right? Mm -hmm. And so what happens is that we can see this, the then, and I, I want to take a look at what happens with Paul's journey to see Caesar. Go to Acts chapter 27. Remember the, um, the seafarers, those that were experienced, they didn't want to listen to Paul. He didn't have an experience, any experience. Who was he, right? He didn't, he, all he was was a prisoner that they were transporting back. And so in this passage of scripture, starting off in verse number 9, it says that now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be hurt and with much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Verse number uh, 11. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which Paul, which were uh, spoken by Paul. And, you know, oftentimes what happens what do you do? Uh, like I was saying, when I was trying to figure out solutions, what, what was I dealing with? I was dealing with my past experiences. That's how, what I was trying to do. Figure out things based upon how I was able to work things out in the past. And this is what the centurion was doing. He's like, who are you, Paul? You've never been on a ship. I don't even know if you've been on a ship. So why should we listen to you? Right? But then what happens? They get into trouble. And now... Skip down to uh, verse number 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sir, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained the harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be off of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. And there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God had given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must cast upon a certain island. So what happens? The, peop the soldiers realize that, hey, you know what? This is, we got nothing to lose. 
right? We're in the midst of a storm. Why not? We listen to him. So they did. They listened to him. And what I want to do is go back, go down to verse number 44, the very last verse. It says there, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. You know, depending on self is never a good response, is never a good solution. So these seafarers in Psalm 107, they go through these stormy winds. They go, they experience all that God has um, has created this turmoil that they uh, the suffering the the challenges and then they cry out to God and then in verse number twenty nine there what does God do He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still you know this reveals the transformational power of God to turn a raging storm into a calm sea Let me read a verse here Psalm eighty nine. In verse number 9, it says, Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. You know? And the same thing happened. Remember with Jesus and his disciples, as they were crossing the Sea of Galilee. You don't have to turn there. I'm still reading it. It's Matthew 8, and then verses 24 to 26. It says, Behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. You know, God has the power, right? The transformational power to calm the seas. But the truth of the matter is that he also can give us rest, right? God gives us rest. Turn to um. Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 11. Matthew, chapter 11. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this passage of scripture. Verse 28 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. These seafarers, right? They were out there. They were struggling. They were doing whatever it took to try to survive out in the open ocean. Jesus is here in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You know, it is when we come to God willingly that we can find rest, that we can find peace. Turning back to our psalm, in verse number 30 says, Then then are they glad because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. You know, the true haven is peace with God through Jesus Christ. Rather, all these storms in life, none of that compares. And Jesus tells us in, in John chapter 3, in verse number 36, it says there that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, Amen. and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon on him. You know, the, the this is the true peace that we have. The, the psalmist is looking, he says that he bringeth them into a, their desired haven. And the true peace that we have with God is through Jesus Christ. 
not just here, but also in eternity. We have something to look forward to. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22 there, he describes what we have to look forward to. In verses 3 to 5, it says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servant shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no light there, and they need no candle, neither the light of the sun. For the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. This is the desired heaven that, that we have to look forward to. The same for these seafarers. They were looking. They were searching. God calmed the seas. He gave them, he, he brought peace there. He gave them the desired haven. Verse number 31 there, it says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. In this, in this psalm here, there are four times where they see, the psalmist says the same thing. All of these times, Oh, that men would praise the Lord. You know, that is something that we should be shouting praises unto God. Shouting praises in public, letting people know that think about the, the, the psalmist here, right? If they're out on the stormy seas and they finally get back to solid ground from that tossing and turning and everything else, they finally get back to solid ground, you think they're going to go, oh, yeah, you know what, that was not, not a big deal. Can do that again. Oh no, no, they're going hallelujah. Thank you. They may not be thanking the right God, but they definitely be thanking somebody. But for us as as Christians, those that are saved, those that have been redeemed, we should be letting others know what God has done in our life. He's saying here that oh that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, God's goodness. We don't deserve that. His wonderful works. And we should be doing that to the children of men. And verse 32, it's end here. It says, let them exalt him also in what? The congregations of the people. You know, our, our praise to God should be done publicly. We should be doing it. And that's the reason why. When I do the uh, chapel services over in the prison, I always ask, anybody got praises? Why? What does it do? It encourages the saints to see how God is working in other people's lives. How trusting, how trusting God can change, transform lives, make a difference. These are things that can be encouraging. Psalm 22. Let me read a couple of verses there. Psalm 22 and verse number 22 says there, he says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. And then in verse number um, 25 in that same chapter, he says, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows, my vows before them that fear him. And that great psalm that they, uh, Thanksgiving that David had. Let me end here in 2 Samuel chapter 22. verse number 50 David says there therefore I will give thanks unto thee O Lord among the heathen and I will sing praises unto thy name you know Christian the very least we can do 
is to be able to thank God in the congregation. Mm -hmm. But what's more important, what's also important is being able to thank God amongst those that are not saved mm -hmm. and allowing others to know how God has transformed my life, our personal testimony, and letting others know how God can possibly transform their lives, giving them hope. You know, what better time, what better opportunity? We've just gone through this crazy pandemic, two and a half years of craziness, lockdowns, masks, vaccines, so on and so forth, all this stuff. And what happened during this time? People were isolated. People lost hope. You know, suicides, attempted suicides went through the roof. Drug overdoses went through the roof. Why? Because people had no hope. Christians, we have hope. Amen. And that is in our Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why not tell others about it? Right? Why not? Let them exalt him also in the congregation of people. Let's not stay silent, folks. Lord, we thank you once again for this evening. And Lord, we are grateful that we have the opportunity to give you praise, to give you honor. And Lord, I pray that we would um, take this opportunity to be able to give the lost hope, Father. For there are many here that are struggling, that are floundering, Lord. That are in the deep seas, Father. That are in storms. And Lord, I pray that as Christians, Lord, that we would be able to point them in the right direction. Let them know, Lord, that there is hope. And that hope is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we just thank you once again for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to give you our, um, praise and honor. But we thank you most importantly for our redemption. For the fact is that Jesus shed his blood. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. So each and every one of us here can say praise, thank him, thank you, and we can shout, uh, joy, uh, shout praises of joy unto you, Lord. We thank you for this. We uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs>